And as we begin in chapter 40, we're going to be lingering on a fir the first few verses for a little while because they are some of the great verses that are referenced in God's deliverance. You find this many times. People just reference God, his power, his keeping power, his hand as he delivers. And David is writing and he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. And I noticed something here that stood out in reading and studying this, that David said, I waited patiently. Now you put those two things together and think, those two words together and think about that just a minute. I waited patiently. And sometimes God has us wait and we are impatient for a period of time. And even sometimes we will experience during that wait God's sense of humor. But David here, he blends these two amazing characteristics together when he said, I waited, but I waited patiently. And he was saying, I'm resting under the provision of God. I, I have peace in my heart, I'm waiting. And I would guess most of us here would have different kinds of testimonies of the times when God just stopped us. And I'm sure David would experience that also. And we couldn't go any further. We knew it. We hit a wall. We just stopped. And we didn't, we began to wait, but we didn't wait patiently. Uh, sometimes even my wife Debbie would kind of gently whisper to me, she wouldn't say, you're not waiting patiently, but just the way she would say it made me realize I'm not, I'm waiting because there's nothing you can do, but I'm not waiting patiently. And as, as we look at this tonight, we, we think of David waiting patiently on the Lord. Uh, this area of wait in the word, we've been looking at that in Psalms and David has been dipping into this truth throughout the teaching as we've been considering this, because it is a very major part of the Christian life. Waiting on God is not just simply a segment and it's over. Uh, it isn't something we think, well, when I get that done, I'm free. I can still remember the first time, it was 1987, I bought my first new truck in business. And I remember thinking, that's probably it. Because there's a huge decision in waiting about should I buy it and spend that money or not? But the decision was, it was like, it's over now. But David, but we open one door, we walk in, and then we wait. And then God opens that door, we walk in, and we wait. And I can still remember many years ago at a memorial service and a, a, a brother Another pastor is beside me and we look down into the grave and he says, when do you think this waiting is going to be over? And I said, probably when we're there, right down there. And that was when they were, there was a casket they were going to put in. But David, David here said he waited patiently. And so it, it may be easy for us to think that probably just happened, but I question that because that isn't our flesh. We resist for a moment. We want an answer. We want to respond. But David here is saying, I waited patiently. 
In Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, just looking back a few chapters, David writes this, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And here, here David is saying, this is a great spiritual exercise. It's, it's one often we first don't want to walk into. We're kind of going down the road. We want to keep moving. And all of a sudden we come to that stop, that road stop, that stop sign, whatever it is. And the Lord says, wait. James 5, two verses, James 5 and 7 and 11. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the soil, being patient about it, and until he gets the early and late rains. There's two rains there. There's a natural and spiritual lesson there. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. And the end of waiting often when, we, when the door opens and it's time to go out of that waiting door, we recognize that God is compassionate and merciful. We may get stopped and it may not make sense and we wonder how come we can't keep moving forward with that task, whatever it is. But when God does it, and then when, the, when James in another place says, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And when that work has worked in our lives, we are able to go out and see the hand of God in amazing ways. This morning... I had a couple things to take back to some, the guys in a shop over by the Glen Harbor Airport, a bunch of hats that I'd brought up from, brought down from Washington when we were there. And I was going down Olive Road, and for those of you that live over in Olive, they're really working on that road right now. And so you're always thinking about what's the best route around Olive Road. So I thought, this is a great route. And I would just swing down south of Olive Road, and I would catch the freeway 303, and the shop is over in Glendale by the Glen Harbor Airport, and I'll take the 303 to Camelback, and that's pretty fast, and I'll get over there. And it all sounded like a great plan because there was a lot of traffic in Olive at that time till I got over in Camelback. And all of a sudden, there was a stop sign with probably 50 cars backed up in Camelback. And for just a minute, I was thinking, now, I'd already been late getting over there and I'm thinking, okay, if I do, maybe I get back to 303 and back up the parkway, go down the parkway and go around. I know that's going to be a lot more, but it would sure be better than sitting here. And finally, so I was calculating time. Do I just make a U-turn and, and turn around? And finally, it was like, just wait. Here I was, here I was just studying this text. And it's like, wait, just let God clear out the traffic. And so I just sat there and waited and listened to a little music and, and pretty soon, uh, here it goes. And it, it was amazing how quickly, whatever it was, 50 cars, 40 cars, just cleared out of that stop sign. And what I thought was going to be a long time was just gone. 
And sometimes when we find ourselves like David saying, I've waited patiently, the time goes by a lot quicker. If we're struggling with the impatience of waiting, time really stretches out. But David, as he, as he says this, I'm not going to linger here too long, but, it, but it's, it's really important because he was in a dilemma. He doesn't describe the dilemma. A lot of times in the word, we don't get what it really was. We might say, what, was, what really happened to that guy? And the word doesn't say that because we might just think that's the only lesson for the, for the, for the message. But the lesson spreads way out when we don't know what really happened. And, and then we think, oh, wow, waiting. But notice what he said then. He said, he, this is the Lord, inclined to me and heard my cry. And that little word inclined was like, he leaned toward me. He moved toward me. And I was thinking about just how, uh, how we have chairs that incline a certain way. And David says, I'm waiting patiently in the Lord. And the Lord moves toward me. And really the story of everyone's life, and maybe it will be revealed more in eternity, is that God moves toward us much more than we move toward him. And here David is simply saying, he inclined to me, he heard my cry. And so here it was, David was recognizing, he was in a real dilemma, it's obvious because of what he was saying. But I believe this, this, these short passages have given Christians throughout the ages so much comfort and so much hope, not just for salvation and what God does in salvation, but in deliverance when the Lord continually delivers in amazing ways and he picks us up and he protects us and he takes us through dark water and he comes through. And we're just amazed at how God really did it. But if you look at this, David said he, he, brought, he heard my cry. So first notice the, the sequence. He inclined toward me and then he heard. And the beauty of God is he does, there isn't anything that ever escapes his ears. For any of us here, we could reach a point of just all we could do is say, help, Lord, and God's got that. Uh, the one, there was one woman in the Bible that simply said, truth, Lord, and the Lord had it. Uh, even the word says in, in Romans chapter 8 that we don't even know how to pray like we should. But the Holy Spirit itself will make intercession for us with groanings that cannot even be uttered. And that just simply means that the, Holy, the Lord is interpreting that what's coming from our heart. And he's not really, it's not even, he wants to hear, but he's going to hear something even different that may come from our hearts as it comes through us. But David says, he inclined to me, he heard, and it was a cry. And I don't know how many of you, how long it's been since you've just cried out to God. A Christian doesn't live that many years until there is a place you just cry out to God. And God hears. He inclines. He's waiting for the cry. He hears. But notice what happened uh, with David because it is so great uh, to see not only does God just listen and hear, but God moves. God moves with action. He has a plan in which he will respond to us. And when he does it, he, he responds completely. 
And this is the beauty of God. Notice in verse 2, David says, He brought me up out of the pit of destruction. Out of the miry clay. And so this is how he's describing it. We still don't know what it is. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And here it is that David is is giving us one thing to to see for sure. And that is uh, that it was a pit. This is a dungeon. This is like a cistern, like the open well that is covered the top. And it's very deep. And David's saying, I'm waiting. And God has brought me out of this dungeon of darkness and despair and gloom. And, And when you think about this and you think about the pit, Usually when we are waiting and despair sets in, what has happened is we've found ourselves in some kind of a pit. It can vary by, uh, by multitudes of ways, but you can think of different ones in the Bible. There was the, the, the life application of Joseph when his own brothers took him and threw him down in the pit. And there it was, along come those those Egyptians, and purchased him from their brothers. And here was this pit. Here was Daniel for standing for truth. Sometimes despair comes because we choose to stand for truth where someone else is not standing for truth. And if you notice with me, with Daniel, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Here was this pit. This pit. Uh, he couldn't get out of it. He was in a hole. Oftentimes, uh, even I was speaking with a brother this week and all of a sudden he's, he spoke about how lately, you know, it seems like his mind has been like a pit. It's just like something is just always taking me down. And we don't know what David is saying exactly here, but the lesson for us all is what happens as David waited patiently, God moves and what happens as a result of that. He says he, he he come out of the pit, out of destruction. So he's describing this. It's more than just simply some little dip in the ground. It's really deep. It's probably a place of great hopelessness, a sense of despair. Even the Apostle Paul was one who would write about this and say that there was times that he was troubled on every side, every side. He even despaired of life, he said. He had a sentence of death in his own self as he was facing all kinds of persecution and opposition, both without, but also even within the body of Christ. Paul was experiencing all kinds of turmoil and things. Now in Psalm 69, we're not there yet, but verses one and two, uh, David is writing, and, and I, wanna, I want us to go a little deeper tonight and look at this with us because this is speaking of something greater than just David tonight. It is speaking about the Lord from heaven. And you'll begin to see this, but notice what he says here in Psalm 69, one of the messianic Psalms that we claim. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. Most people would see this as prophesying of the coming Messiah even and what Jesus himself would be uttering as he was going to the cross and giving his life. Psalm 69, verse 14 and 15, same Psalm, deliver me from the mire and do not let me sink. May I be delivered from my foes and from the deep waters. 
May the flood of water not overflow me, nor the deep swallow me up, nor the pit shut its mouth on me. And here David is simply looking to the Lord as he writes this for deliverance. But as we, we, we will not take time right now, but what we, we, we see also is this is what Jesus himself did. Now, one of the things that's really cool about the Bible is that, and the Psalms are this way, and I don't know if I've taken time to really open this up because it's a, it's a very, very big part of the word of God. But one of the cool things about the Bible is you get a great lesson. Okay, as you're reading the lesson, the lesson, you, you get the lesson, that's really great. But the next step of this is when you can see through the lesson a promise, it starts giving you hope. I got the lesson, I get the promise. And then as you sense the promise, you see the blessing, the lesson, the promise, and the blessing. And there's one great mountain peak on top of that, and that is when you see Jesus. Now, now what, what's interesting about the Bible is the Bible was written by men, but really it was written by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But as they were writing, they were writing of truth that oftentimes was pointing beyond the men and beyond the circumstance to the Messiah. And the Psalms, my father has a book at home and I, I, I started reading it one time and it's called Christ in the Psalms. And that whole book is on just the places in the Psalms. Jesus first looks hidden, but when you keep looking, it's like this treasure. And, when, you, know, and, and you can consider it a little bit like this. When we, when we get the lesson, there's a blessing. When we see the application of the lesson, there's a blessing. But when we really see, and, 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 but when we begin to see Jesus, it just shouts. The whole word just opens up at the place we see Jesus. And oftentimes, it's the place that begins to make all the dots fit. And you can go throughout the Bible and you take time and say, Lord, where are you here? Where are you here? Well, tonight in this 40th Psalm, we're speaking, we're looking at this great deliverance, but also as you look with me for just a moment, we're going to see Jesus. He is, he is first hidden, but amazingly uh, within the Psalms, within. And when you see this, it's just like, wow, there he is. And it's no different than when you're in the deep mire, when you can see Jesus in the mire. Now, as David is speaking about this, he's speaking of a deep pit, but there would be no one ever in the face of the earth that would go through the pit that Jesus himself would go through as he gave his life for us. And there was no place to go. He was waiting for the Father. Notice what we said. I waited patiently for the Lord. He was waiting for the Father. He was waiting for the Father to work and to move as he had promised many years before and throughout the Bible. And David was there. But, but we began to see right here a, a message that probably goes beyond David and it goes beyond us. We start seeing the opening up of Jesus the very Messiah who gave his life as a perfect sacrifice, hidden from view at first. A lot of times to find Jesus, you've got to dig a while. You've got to meditate. You've got to stop. You've got to get around the text. You've got to get around the context. You've got to get some definitions and keep praying. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus. 
And many years ago, a pastor, when I was a young pastor, a, a, a little older pastor told me, he says, John, you'll, you'll discover something in sermon preparation. And I never forgot this. He said, if a sermon goes flat when you're preparing it, there's a good chance you haven't found Jesus yet. You might have found the concept, you might have found the principle, you might have found the, the philosophy, but you haven't seen Jesus yet. And when you see Jesus, everything begins to change. But notice here, it says, not only did he bring him out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, but David says, he set my feet on my footsteps firm. Now when Jesus rescues, now we're looking at what Jesus not only maybe what he endured here, but what Jesus does in our lives. He doesn't just say, hey, here's a little rope. Get up, get out of the mud, clean yourself up. Notice what he does. And this is what is so complete about the work of Jesus. He's complete in everything that he does. He set my feet on a rock. There's the rock, it's not gonna move. The rock is Jesus. Making my footsteps firm, and then notice what happens. It's not like, okay, I'm going to sit in this position and then just enjoy the Christian life and, and have my nice Christian life chair. Notice what David says. He blesses powerfully and abundantly. And if we, if we look at this together, he put a new song in my mouth. Not only did he rescue me, he heard me, he leaned toward me, he reached out, he pulled me out. But David is saying, he put a new song in my, my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord because of it. There's something else when we're going through a pit, we see it right here. Sometimes you say, what is the purpose of all of this? And in the last week, we were spending some time with just different ones that were going through different suffering up in Washington State where we used to minister. And one of the things I began to notice in a thread of conversation was God has a reason beyond the reason. God is working beyond the first sight. I'm hurting, God's healed me. But if, like Fred and Vicki, you've been blessed by healing. God doesn't waste that, blood, that healing testimony. One of the beauties of this psalm right here is it's speaking that when you have a testimony of God's work in your life, that is the greatest upper the world's ever going to hear. Now they need to hear of God. They need to hear his power, his working. But when that is your testimony, there is no greater upper. God worked. I, I was in the pit. I didn't know what to do, but God came and rescued me. And notice what happens here too. It isn't just that, yeah, okay, now I'll go sit in the chair. No, he put a new song in my heart. I'm going to sing praises to him. I'm going to thank him. The song isn't necessarily just singing, but it's rather the expression of a life of thanksgiving and adoration, recognizing God, you did it. And I would guess if we would stop and say, time out, we've got 20 more minutes, let's just go up and down the aisles. Uh, we couldn't, time wouldn't allow for the, the places that God has worked in your own lives like that right here. Because that's, that's who he is. He is a rescuing God. He's a delivering God. But when he gets done, remember, there's going to be a new song. It may not be today. 
There's a psalm that says weeping comes for in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we may not be able yet to sing today, but the promise of God is the day will come when we'll be able to sing. We'll be able to rejoice and praise him. And this is where David was on this mountain. But I think as we're, we, we were speaking about this thing about how we see this hidden, these hidden truths of Jesus in the word of God. And we see the lesson, we see the promise, we see the blessing, and then we see Jesus. And we see what he is and what has happened through him. And we're just, we're just amazed and we stand in awe of God. And, and there it is that God does amazing things. You know, here David says too, notice he set my, my feet upon a rock and an unmovable rock. Another Psalm 61, verses 1 and 2. We'll get there, Lord willing, before too long. Hear my cry, cry, O God. Give ear to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And I love that. That David is simply saying, Lord, now let's, let's find Jesus here. Lord, lead me to the rock that's much greater than myself. And that's Jesus. His strength, his power, his dominion. And, and here he is just simply saying, lead me to that rock that is higher than I. Now, as, as you know, we, we're, we're just looking at this and saying, you know, he put on, but let's just look back at the se sequence just to get the lesson again. I waited patiently. Notice what David had done. He waited patiently. The Lord inclined. He leaned. He inclined. He recognized where I was in my weight. He sensed the patience. He heard the very cry of my heart. He reached down, brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of a very de terrible place. And he reached down. He brings me out of the pit. He puts me on a rock. And he makes his footsteps firm. Other translations there will say, he established my goings. But he made, NASB says, he made his footsteps firm. So God reaches down, puts you on the rock. And he says, I'm not putting you where you're going to falter and fall and stumble and, and bumble and, and get beat up. I'm putting you on a rock. And we know where that rock is. In the word of God, it's this rock is Jesus. He is the rock that doesn't move. He is the rock of all rocks. He is the great I am. He is the place through which we can go. And, and as David has taken us here tonight, and I've, I'm jumping over uh, some of this because I, I would like to cover this and, and look at the result of deliverance as we look further into this sound tonight. You know, when God does a work of deliverance in our lives, and we've all been there in some way, God doesn't waste the pain. He doesn't waste the lesson. He doesn't waste the trial. God has a purpose behind the pain, the suffering, the quietness, the place that we may even be here tonight. God has a purpose there. And we may not see it right now, but notice what happened with David. We began to sense blessing in verse 4. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. And David is recognizing, I'm just happy in the Lord. Now, remember where he, what he came through. God had taken him through. He had delivered him from a very deep pit, a very dark time. But now David is coming out of this time. And one of the great, uh, I love it to watch someone. And I've, I've been there many times myself. Remember how it was even with um, 
Elijah. And after God had delivered, they're on Mount Carmel and he's running ahead of the chariot and the rain is coming. And I can see that guy almost setting the world's record as he's running ahead of the chariot. Now it won't be very long, we'll see this a little bit with David, that Elijah's sitting underneath the gourd and saying, Lord, take my life. But there is still a lesson here of, of just enjoying the blessing after the pit or the trial. And God has a way of bringing the blessing, not only just for us, but for other people. It can be just like we're hearing tonight among you, the testimonies of answered prayer, a life that has changed, a soul that has responded to Jesus because of. And those mean so much. And, and here David says, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who laughs in the falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done. And your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Now let's look at this within the context of where we've been tonight, that David has came through a pit. He's came through a very difficult time. It really hurt, okay? Let's just, it really hurt. But David is now on the other side, and he's praising God. And if you notice with me as David is praising God, he is just speaking of God's wonders, his thoughts. There's no comparison. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be even, and the ways that I look at how great you are, God, is too numerous to count. And this is so uh, powerful and necessary. You know, we had another situation this week, you know, and a couple guys uh, getting down. And also it just hit me, well, God won't work a work a blessing unless we're thankful. This is what God, Thanksgiving opens the door of God's blessing. A thankless heart closes the door. It's, it's really interesting. When we lose the heart of Thanksgiving, we simply just close the door of God's blessing. When Thanksgiving comes, it's like, God, come in. And this is what we see right here, is David so thankful, his heart is just so open to God. And he's saying, God, you are so wonderful and great, none to compare to you and too numerous to count. Now in verse six, six he says, sacrifice and, me, and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have required. And David's looking back. Let's just look at this in context. David looking back on his deliverance and saying, Lord, this was you who did it. I couldn't get out of the pit. You, you don't require this of me. But you know what? He's saying, look at this. I can't perform a burnt offering to overcome. I don't have the strength, the ability. And I love this when God gets us to this place. Not that we love it at the time in any of our lives, but all of a sudden we recognize, I don't have the answer. I don't know, but God does. And this is what, where he was on this. He says, look at this, Lord. You don't require a sacrifice. You don't require burn offerings or sin offerings. I'm not asking that from you. But then he said, but I come in the scroll of a book. It is written of me. And David is saying, I delight to do your will. Oh my God. And your law is within my heart. But, but let's look through this a little bit. Let's pull back the covers and, and turn over the stone for a minute and look at what else he might be saying here. Are we beginning to see Jesus again? Jesus in the Psalms? Is 
Was there one sacrifice for sin forever that restored us, redeemed us, bought us, cleansed us? And that was Jesus. And here as we're looking at this, think of all the burnt offerings for many, many years before that the word of God says would never take away sin. But he gave one sacrifice for sin forever. And then he sat down, the word of God says, at the right hand of God. Can you see Jesus beginning to come right out of the pages here? And this, one of the beauties of deliverance, and, and I like to think of David thinking about this, and he has not yet seen Jesus. He's just seen the greatness of God, but he is prophesying of what Jesus was going to do and who Jesus was. And it's, it's really cool when you think about it. And then in verse 7, he says, Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of a book it is written of me. You say, Hold, how does, how does that fit David? I come in the scroll of a book. And you can say, Well, here's the word of God. But who was the living word of God? Jesus. He came. In the beginning, like John says, was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And Jesus, the living word of God, came into this world. And as, as David is reflecting and thanking and praising, maybe what he's doing, he's got the lesson, he sees the promises, he experienced the blessing. And maybe the word of God says these holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They could not, they saw just through glass darkly, but they also knew a promised Messiah was going to come. They knew that. The word of God taught that from the beginning. Uh, that was passed from generation to generation. The Messiah was going to come. And as we look at this, and, and when we look at this, we said, behold, I come, and I'm going to come in the scroll of a book. It's written, I will be the living word. I will be the word, not just the Bible we hold in our hand, but I am the word. This is one of the definitions of who Jesus is. Yes, he's life. He's light. He is salvation. He is our all in all, but he is the living word. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is with my heart. And now David is expressing his thanksgiving and saying, Lord, now I just want to serve you. And I'm sure many of you could testify to that. The time when you were in the pit, God came, brought you out of that pit, and you said, Lord, okay, here's my hands, here's my heart, here's my feet. Just do with me what you want to do. I want to do your will. Maybe you're, maybe you're like, hey, we're getting a little bit older and say, God, I only have so many years. Just give me grace to do your will. And here, and here as you look at this, he says, I delight to do your will. My law, that your law is in my heart. But we see here David's heart, but we see Jesus' heart also. Because when Jesus came into the world, his heart was to do the will of the Father. Matter of fact, uh, I remember one time many years ago, I heard a pastor say this, that the greatest work Jesus ever did was the work of glorification. When he said there in, in John 17, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. And I go, hold it, he died at the cross. But his entire life was here to glorify the Father. He was here to see the, the Father exalted. And if you look at this with me, here David is saying, I, I want to do your will, Lord, and your laws in my heart. But there was a coming Messiah. There is an, his name is Jesus who just delighted to do the will of the Father. 
I believe in John. He says, oh Lord, he was in the prayer of intercession. He says, I finished, oh Lord, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And that work was the work of glorification. I have glorified your name. I have finished that work. And here he says, I delight. Notice in verse 9, we're not going to get through this. I have proclaimed great glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. And notice the effect of deliverance in David's life. Every one of us have a song to sing. Every one of us have a testimony to share. I would just encourage us as older brothers and sisters, even though it may not always fit, share the testimony of God with your children, your grandchildren. You might only get a little window, but share his deliverance, share his power. Because you can see this in the heart of David. For you younger uh, fathers here, share the greatness and deliverance of God with your family. Speak, there's one psalm we'll come to later in the 145th psalm where David says you walk around Zion and you look at the great towers and you mark them. And then you speak about how this God is our God and he will be our guide even until death. And David is this place, he says, I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth with a great congregation. I won't hide it. Sometimes they say, I don't want to make, share the work of God. I think we've lived in a culture sometimes that we say, I don't, that, that doesn't mean we burst into a, a room and we take over the conversation. We say, you got to hear, but share the power and the work of God. It gives hope. It's like a lifeline. Someone else will first see it like, yeah, that must be a blessing there, but it goes beyond the blessing. They're begin, they begin to see Jesus through that and his power and all the things he, he did. And, and we're no different than the blind man. Sometimes we say, what do I have to share? Well, think of the blind man when the Lord touched his eyes and he could see. And he came back and he had one message. Once I was blind and now I see. It wasn't some great theological layout that, that took, uh, took a doctorate degree. It was simply a man who had been touched by Jesus that was willing to say, he touched me and changed me. And now I can see. And once I was blind and now I see. And as we look at this, we see what happens when God delivers? How many times have Christians been delivered in amazing ways? And we say, okay, I can just go back to doing living for me. God, that hurts the heart of God deeply because God delivers for a purpose and we see it with David. He is recognizing this, but as he is expressing this, he is pointing to the great deliverer who is going to come. Oh Lord, verse 11, you, O oh Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. Notice where David is now. He's been delivered, but he is in communion with the Lord and great, um, great companionship. He's, the Lord is amazing. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. He could be looking back to the pit. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head and my heart has failed me. Maybe he's speaking of this again, or maybe he's just looking back saying, when I look at myself in the flesh, it's a mess. It really is a mess. But God, you have done amazing things in deliverance. The ways that you work, 
the ways that you touch a life, the ways that you turn us around. And in verse 13, be pleased, O Lord, to, to help me and let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored to delight my hurt. And it's interesting with David. Every once in a while, David, for a little bit, you ever notice this? All of a sudden he says, okay, Lord, though, but can I just poke the knife a minute? Sometimes, sometimes he'll say later, he'll hold it. I wasn't supposed to do that. I think Paul did that one time. He, he went after one of the rulers and said, called him a whited wall. And afterward, he said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that you were one of the rulers. I, so, but that was quite a deal. He backed up really quick. And, and it, but, but here David is just simply saying, here's all these people. And, but maybe we can look at this and say, but Lord, I want, I want them to receive what they deserve. But basically, none of us receive what we really deserve or we would not be here tonight. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Here again, look at this in light of the cross. At the cross, Jesus was a spectacle that was beheld as just the word of God says in Psalm, Isaiah 52 that his, his visage, his countenance was so marred more than any man. His form was more than even the sons of men. And here David is saying, just let those... Let those be appalled who say, whoever the same who say to me, aha, aha. But then he says, let all who seek you rejoice be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. And really this is the end maybe of the message tonight, but maybe it's where God wants us to get when we come through deliverance and the Lord spares us. And we go back, we go back to the job, we go back home. We go back to the family. We even go back to difficult situations. But notice what David says here. Let those who love your salvation say the Lord be magnified. That's what matters, that God is magnified. And here he, he reflects at the end of this psalm and he says, since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me for you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay over my God. And here we see a, a, a man who has came through difficulty, experienced the deliverance of God, shouted praises to God, saw Jesus. We see Jesus through that. We recognize that through the glass, it's kind of like through fog, there's Jesus again, delivering, holding up, guiding, leading in amazing ways. And I am sure that right here tonight, who, there, there are some that are in very deep water. I mean, I've preached at times in deep water many times. And in that deep water, wherever you're at, remember, go back and look at the psalm. Uh, hang on to it because God doesn't waste pain. God has a beautiful, all he wants to hear is he wants us to wait patiently. He wants to hear the cry of our heart and then he moves. And when he moves, he moves beautifully and he restores and he gives, puts a song in our heart it doesn't mean you're going to be out here and stand in the street of uh, Greenway shouting to a thousand people. I don't know. He, you might be, but he'll give you a testimony wherever you're at, on the job, with the children, in difficult situations, because you have experienced the deliverance of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, tonight that 
that you are the great deliverer. And not only do you deliver, Lord, but you put our feet on a rock and you establish our goings. We thank you, Lord, we can rest in your deliverance and your mighty power tonight. Lord, bless each one that's here tonight. And no matter where we are called to go this week, Lord, I pray that we can wait patiently in you. And as you incline to us and hear our cry, we can experience that great deliverance. And we can have that wonderful testimony that you are an amazing God and your son Jesus is just everything to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.